right, everybody, welcome into another episode of the Sports Ethos Celtics podcast. I am your host, Patrick Lounsbury, here with my co-host, Lucas Gaynor, on a wonderful pre-game before game two, just the night prior. We're getting excited. We had to come in and, and give you guys some more content because, man, Marcus Smart winning Defensive Player of the Year has got us pretty pumped. How you feeling today, Lucas? Oh, listen, Patrick, you know, you brought it up, man. Marcus winning Defensive Player of the Year made my week, it made my month, it made my whole year. You know, I'm incredibly happy for the guy, especially the way it was presented, you know, with Gary Payton, the last guard, winning it, coming to the facility, presenting the award, man. That just hit me right in the feels, dude. I was really happy for the guy, all the players on the Celtics and around the league giving him props, man. Really love to see that. So, uh, you know, shout out to Marcus Smart, man. Finally getting that DPOY award that he's deserved for a few years now, in my opinion. Yeah, we, we're going to touch on some of Marcus Smart and some of the comments from his teammates in regards to him getting the award, also about how Gary Payton was the one who presented it to him, what it means, and how we feel about it. We're also going to go over some Kyrie Irving comments, and then we are doing the show on Spotify Live app, so we are going to end up opening up the floor to the audience, letting people come up here and just talk basketball, man. We're going to talk some Celtics, we're going to talk some playoffs, and and just kind of get a grasp for the room. Um, going into the Marcus Smart thing, man, what was your first initial reaction when you heard the news break? You know, honestly, Patrick, it caught me by surprise because, you know, like everyone else, I had no idea they were announcing it at that time. And it kind of felt surreal, you know, like seeing the notification that Smart won the DPOY because as much as we've been talking about how it's a possibility and how it's likely the past few weeks and, you know, past month or so, you know, I wasn't really ever sure it was going to happen. I thought the voters were going to default back to giving it to the big men, which, you know, some voters were very upset it didn't go to a big man. But, you know, that's an entirely separate conversation. But, you know, I was just really happy, man. You know, Smart is a guy who, you know, puts in more work than almost anybody, you know, when it comes to defense. He's the grittiest player I've ever watched, really. Um, and he gives it his all every time. You know, he makes countless defensive plays over and over again. So, you know, I was honestly just grateful to see, you know, a man rewarded for his real, real hard work. And I think, you know, I think he deserves it. And also, Pat, I was glad to see, you know, they kind of, uh, listen, I understand rim protection is very valuable, but, you know, some real uh, other valuable assets for a defender in today's NBA are versatility and switchability. And there's almost nobody who's more versatile and more switchable, you know, outside of maybe a couple other guys than smart. So, I'm glad to see the voters rewarding kind of the new age type of defense. Yeah, I, I think a lot of things played into Marcus Smart winning the defensive player year. Uh, one, I did think he deserved it. He definitely was in that running. I thought he was a top three candidate, 100%. And then on top of it, you know, voters fatigue. Me and you have talked about that many of times. It's a real thing, you know, having a, a guy keep winning the same award all the time. Voters are just kind of wanting something new, something fresh. Uh, I do think the narrative was really strong, especially when people realize how long it's been since a guard has won it. I think that push ended up helping him getting stamped by Gary Payton, you know, weeks prior to the, getting the award. But ultimately, you look at Marcus Smart's resume, you look at him as a player, and you watch the film, and, and your eye test goes, yeah, this guy is a defensive menace. He, he puts in the work. He really perfects his craft. And – Honestly, at the end of the day, deserve the award ultimately, in my opinion. Uh, I'm really happy for Marcus Smart. He should be, he's going to be the, obviously the all defensive uh, first team. It'd be wild for him to win defensive player of the year and not make all first team now. So I think that kind of locks him too. And, and that's cement, you know, cement, 
that, that goes into history now, right? So Marcus Smart is a defensive player of the year winner. People can hate on it. You can say whatever you want about it, but it doesn't take away the fact that when you look up Marcus Smart now in his career, he has a defensive player of the year award. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, Patrick, we had a little exchange on Twitter where he said, like, I was like, Wow, people are really mad. The Marcus Smart won defensive player, and you said, Yep, but they can't erase the history books, and they sure cannot. And now I do agree, you know, I think whether you like it or not, the narrative factors into like every award in the NBA. That's just how it is now. I'm not saying I agree with it, disagree with it. I mean, I don't agree with it, but that's just how it is now. And you know, I do think that Gary Payton coming out and saying something did help smart, but We've seen players campaign for awards, all-star appearances. So this is nothing new. And then um, I also just want to say, like, yeah, some there were some writers that were up in arms over Smart winning the award. And to me, that's just frankly a little bit ridiculous because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it would have been ridiculous if Rudy Gobert won or if Bam Adebayo or Mikael Bridges, the second-place finisher, won. Um, because, you know, I think they all have a pretty good case to win. And I do think Marcus you know, has the strongest case being the best defender on the best team. Um, But I was a little shocked to see how the NBA media world reacted to smart winning, you know, somebody citing that he's not top 10 in any defensive statistics. And, you know, when it comes to defensive statistics and defensive advanced metrics, that's something I'm like Brad Stevens. You know, he said, if I get an email with a defensive metric in it, I delete it. You know, defense is something that it's all about effort, positioning and things like that. Um, you know, foot speed, lateral quickness. So that's defense is much easier for me to evaluate with my eyes, the numbers. Um, so I was just really shocked to see how the, how the media world reacted, but I was very happy to see how the NBA player like world reacted with guys like Draymond Green, Mikhail Bridges, um, some legendary Tony Allen, Gary Payton, all these guys just giving him his props. So I think, you know, it takes one to know one when it comes to like, something like this. So it was really good to see former defensive player of the years, former shutdown guards, give him his props because, you know, if you watch the Celtics, you know that he deserves it. Yeah. And um, another thing too, like talking about peers and stuff is, you know, Jaden Brown had something to say after um, he won the award and some quotes came out today. We'll we'll also address as well, but they were, he was just happy, man. Um, he later said, can't be more proud and happy for Marcus Smart. I've learned so much from Marcus, how to compete in everything on that side of the ball. Said it's legendary for Smart to be the first guard to win defensive player since Peyton. And he also noted that I ain't seen him smile like that in a while. So just wonderful, you know, gesture from, from his own teammates. I know Jason Tatum also shouted him out and said congrats and everything like that. Also just wanted to note that Marcus Smart is – is the first, you know, guard to win a defense player award, as we we mentioned in previous podcasts, since 1950, uh, 1995-96 season where Gary Payton did win the award. He also is the second Celtics player to win the award, joining Kevin Garnett, who won it in the year the Celtics won the championship back in 08. The award also didn't begin until 1982-83, if you guys were wondering why maybe Bill Russell didn't have any like that. Um, but uh, sure, he would have ended up in uh, – had a, had a, a few of those plaques up in his uh yep. in his yeah, hardware as well if that war was back then but uh unfortunately it wasn't then so you know uh Marcus Smart well deserving uh kind of on on pace for some some trending things man we have Marcus Smart now winning defensive player of the year same type of you know thing that happened with Kevin Garnett and then also Kansas winning the 
NCAA national title the year the Celtics won it, and they won it this year, man. I don't, I'm not trying to be, you know, superstitious or anything, but the stars seem to be aligning a little bit. Yeah, you know, now that you mention that, that's funny. Though. So that's two things that occurred the last time they occurred. The Celtics won the chip. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. You know, you have a long way to go here in the net series, but it does seem like the stars could be aligning. But like I said, a lot of work here left in the first round against the Nets. Um, and, you know, speaking of the Nets, you know, our former star point guard Kyrie Irving definitely had some things to say out here in the media. Um, you know, I know he flipped off the crowd a couple of times. He paid $50,000 for that today. Um, you know, that and the use of foul language. But Patrick, I don't know if you got the quotes in front of you. Um, if you want to take it away with here what, uh, with what Kyrie had to say, you know, about the, uh, about the Celtics fandom. Yeah, I don't think I have uh, Kyrie's exact quotes here in front of me, but uh, I do know that that it came around pretty much that Kyrie was returning the same energy he felt the Boston crowd was giving him, and he he says it's the playoffs, man. He doesn't care. Like he's willing to pay that fine. He does not care about fifty thousand dollars right now. He was just like pretty much, you know, if the Celtics are going to call him the you know vulgar language, he's going to return it back, and he's going to talk his smack, which. You know, some people are having mixed feelings about, personally. I love it. I think it's good for competitiveness in basketball. It's playoff basketball. It ups the antics and the atmosphere. It gives us a, something extra to watch as far as the game goes. I don't I don't see the badness to the game. You know, as long as there's no harm, no foul, like it ain't no physical harming to anybody, and as long as the vulgar language doesn't get out of line, you know, I don't need no death threats, don't need, you know, any racist comments or – anything of those natures, but as long as it, it, you know, cool, you know, as long as it's park talk, park talk is cool. I was going to say, as long as it sticks to basketball and you're not defaming anyone's character, you know, exactly their religion, you know, things of that nature. I'm all good with it. And I think Kyrie has the, uh, not to just jump in, Pat, but I think Kyrie has the ability to, I agree with you. He has the ability to react however he wants to. And, you know, I think Celtics fans are maybe upset by the fact that Kyrie says, I want to bury the hatchet, and then he flips people off. Well, dude, if Kyrie doesn't flip people off, people are still booing him. So, you know, it takes two sides to bury the hatchet. Um, but, Pat, do you hear what KD had to say today? Um, I did I did see that clip, yeah. Do you happen to have it all up right now? Well, no, I don't have it in front of me, but basically what he said, uh, I don't know if, you know, listeners heard, but what KD said was he said, you know, it comes from a place of love. Like they watched Kyrie play some amazing basketball for their team, you know, and then they had that taken away from them, especially when they, they thought he was coming back. They had it taken away from them. So they're a little bit, you know, they're, they're bummed that they got it taken away from them. And personally, I think that's true. I don't know about you, but I think that's where a lot of the angst from Celtics fans comes from. You know, a lot of fans say it's from this, from that, but at the end of the day, you know, people loved Kyrie when he was here for the most part until that final season. And uh, he was an amazing player to watch, and I do think that it stems from that being taken away and, you know, the broken promise, per se. I, I think it's a lot to do with that broken promise, for sure. Um, I also do think, as well, with the with the relationship between Boston and Kyrie, like, all time, he, he'll, you know, time heals all. And we've seen that even with Ray Allen. Like, you know, this, this city hated Ray Allen, it seemed like, for almost a decade, maybe even longer a little bit for their – um, they kind of just started getting over that wound and it, it takes time, you know, like, and I don't think that this will be healed over for a while because Kyrie's still playing and 
I understand he says he wants to bury the hatches, but the more times he comments on it and the more times he reacts, which I think he has every right to. If he wants to do that, that's cool with him. But also I hope he's not expecting that this relationship to ever start to grow and, and heal until, I mean, he's, he also can't be responding. As soon as he stops responding, I think the Celtics fans stop chattering and stop chattering over time, and then it kind of fades. But uh, being that they keep kind of chipping back at each other like this, it, it's just going to keep adding fuel to the fire, and that fire is going to continue to burn so long I think Kyrie's in the league. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, it was good to see the Celtics fans forgive Ray Allen, you know, and the players forgive Ray Allen, you know, because I know there was a little bit of, you know, contention there or whatever, but – I do think that, you know, the more Kyrie feeds into it, the Boston fans are just going to eat that up, you know, and they're just going to get louder and they're going to get crazier and they're going to boom. Like they were chanting F Kyrie, which, you know, I think is a little appropriate, but they were chanting F Kyrie at the Red Sox game tonight. Now I can promise you that's, well, I can't promise you, but I can, I would guess that's not happening if Kyrie didn't flip off the crowd. Right. And, but listen, you know, like you said, this is all in the heat of competition Playoff basketball, Kyrie can react however he wants to. But, uh, you know, I feel like personally I'm exhausted from the Kyrie conversation. I just like the basketball of it all. And, you know, I think this is a fun little layer to it. But, you know, I'm kind of sick about talking about Kyrie just because, you know, we have a really good thing going here, and I don't want to make everything about Kyrie. Not saying that we're doing that, but I feel like a lot of fans can do that on accident. Yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of quotes come out actually from from today's media availability um, earlier on in the day. Uh, Ime, as you know, said it's a huge benefit that he was an assistant for the Nets last uh, last season. Said he knows how to make some of their players tick. I think we saw a lot of that with the whole KD right, putting the extra body on Kevin Durant in Game One and and seeing them try to make Kevin Durant as uncomfortable as possible when it came to him trying to get to his spots and and getting into any type of rhythm and even coming to ram it is like i i got rushed he felt like he rushed a lot and he needed to slow things down and play his game so so he's got him to play a game that really isn't his style and then um he may also commented on the Kyrie Irving situation on whether Kyrie feeds off the energy with the fans. He says, our focus is guarding him and stopping him from getting 39, not worrying about what's going on with him and the fans. Um, so he doesn't want to feed into it. I, I know Jalen Brown was asked about it as well. And th- the team just doesn't even care. Like they're, they're not worried about as far as that goes. Cause Jalen Brown on the back and forth between Kyrie and the fans, I was not aware all my energy is on my team and what we have to do to win games. So this team is locked in. There's no distraction with them. It doesn't even matter what antics are going on with anything else. So just kind of really awesome to see the team not even feed into it. Like, they're not even worried about it. They're like (laughs) – they're letting Kyrie play a battle against the fans, and then now Kyrie has to battle against the Celtics. So it's almost like Kyrie's just putting a lot more on his plate and the Celtics are not worried about it. They're just focused on their own. Yeah, and I think that's 100% the right attitude to have. You know, that's not the Celtics player's job to worry about. You know, uh, it's the fan's job, and that's about it. So I love to see the consistency from the coaching staff to the players. Focus on the game, what's in front of you. Control what you can control, not all the extracurricular stuff. Um, But that's pretty much all I have to say about that, Pat. Um. I don't know if you got anything else to add on Kyrie, but that's pretty much all I've got right there on on the Kyrie stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's all I kind of got um, on the Kyrie situation as well. Um, 
And I, I just think that uh, you wanted to touch on a couple things you felt we needed to bring a little bit more to life oh, from, from, yeah. from game one that maybe we, we may have overlooked as well. And, and I think you want to probably start off with talking about Jalen Brown and, and what you feel like he, he deserved. 100%. 100%. So I think that, you know, just because Jalen shot poorly for a lot of the game, um, you know, the first three quarters, I will say, I think we were maybe didn't highlight his good place enough in that uh, podcast right after the game. I, I'm sure the listeners know I was reeling, you know, from being there was such a crazy game. You know, it's hard to digest your thoughts after a game, like an emotional game like that. But I think without Jalen Brown in the fourth quarter, we don't win that game. I mean, he gave us buckets when the Celtics were drowning on offense. Um, you know, those nine points down the stretch in the fourth were huge. That huge three-pointer, you know, that kind of got lost in all the hype of the double team and of the Jason Tatum buzzer beater. Um, you know, Jalen's Jalen's ability to not just drive straight to the hoop pack, because I know we've been on him a couple times for that, you know. Um, you know, where he just puts his head down and gets blocked, you know, at the end of games. Nope, he looped back out, found smart, boom, the rest is history. He played, you know, some great defense in the game, I think. You know, he might have had a couple lapses here and there. He had a couple huge blocks in transition on Katie and Bruce Brown. He was just playing, I thought, really good defense. So I just wanted to start, yeah, shouting out Jalen Brown for a really good performance. After I rewatched the game, I just, you know, I don't think we gave him his props, you know, like I thought that he deserved in that, uh, from that, from game. Yeah, you know, I I was pretty um, attacking on Jalen Brown. I, I'd probably ta- I think I may have attacked him harder than than you have because I told him like, hey man, you were excited for these playoffs and show it type situation. But um, he did definitely come up in the fourth quarter. He had those nine points in the fourth that were huge. He had that big three. He had that bully layup. Um, I, I did notice too in that play where he got that layup to bring the Celtics within one point. You also seen. Uh, the off-ball movement that Tatum ended up getting, he ended up getting a screen up in the top area, and Claxon was was so focused on Jason Tatum in that play and had his back turned towards Jalen Brown at the ball that Jalen Brown saw the opportunity. I think it was design play, you know, as a decoy, and Jalen Brown just took advantage. Was like, hey, you're going to give Jalen Brown a downhill one-on-one with a wide-open paint. We're going to take that matchup every time 10 out of 10 times so it's just going to be very interesting to see what the nets try to do to limit the celtics from getting into the paint because there's there's not a lot of adjustments that i see for this nets teams that they can really try to slow down what the celtics have been doing to this point um but i do think that this this game is very crucial like i don't think the nets can afford to lose this game and if the Nets lose this game, I, I think they're they're pretty much. I'm not saying the series is over by any means after two games because you're supposed to handle home court. But at the same time, it, it <clears throat> how how do you expect the Nets team to end up winning four out of the next five? It's it's going to be really tough. Yeah, I think the game is huge. Honestly, you know, you like you said, you're supposed to defend your home court. That puts the Celtics in a position if they can steal one game in Brooklyn. It makes it a lot more advantageous, you know, for the Celtics, of course. You know, you get three wins out of the first four games. You'll feel a lot better about your chances, you know, winning a series against anybody, especially guys like KD and Kyrie, who aren't necessarily the type of players you want to play in a game seven, you know, situation. So uh, hopefully they can steal one in uh, in Brooklyn, and that would really make the series, you know, a lot more palatable and stomach, like, you know, as far as just us moving on because – you know, even though Pat and I both picked the Celtics, and I'm confident in the Celtics still after game one, 
you know, it's just tough for me to overlook a guy like KD. And after Kyrie played one of the arguably the best game I've ever seen him play, um, you know, it's going to be a battle. So Celtics got to defend home court tomorrow night. You know, this will be a nighttime game, not a day game. So looking forward to that. It's going to be rocking. Yeah, I'm just excited to see. Also, I I feel like there's so much adjustments for the Celtics to make to be better. Like when when looking at that game, I was like, man, the Celtics could have been way better than they played. And seeing that is pretty scary. Like I I thought Daniel Tice was a a very negative player in that game because of how far he was dropping and drop coverage. And you even saw a couple of plays where Marcus Smart really like yelled at him and was like, man, you got to be up more. Like you, you can't just give Kyrie Irving the space to walk up into a three pointer and get going like that. If you do that, then yeah, Kyrie's going to go ahead and be efficient all night if he's shooting warm up line shots. So it, it's going to be awesome to see how the Celtics and Eme and the coaching staff really adjust. I do think they have a, a pretty marginal edge as far as the coaching goes and, and he may having that experience being on that staff. He doesn't really know all that as well. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see the adjustments that they end up making moving forward. Yeah. Likewise. But Pat, I think it's about time we can uh, get some Collins here. Don't you think? Yes, sir. We're going to bring up people and just kind of open up the room to, to discuss some Celtics talk. So uh, we have Ashley up here. How's it going, Ashley? Hey guys, how are you? I haven't talked to you guys in a while. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, we're doing great. We're doing great. What, what are some of your uh, takes here off of game one and how, where are you kind of feeling about the series moving forward? How you feeling? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that stood out to me from what you just said was the fact that compared to what the Nets game plan looks like moving forward, I just don't think the Nets have much adjustments to make, you know, the only plan they have moving forward is you got to get more open shots for Kevin Durant. That's pretty much it. Um, With the Celtics, I didn't see the best version of the Boston Celtics that night. So personally to me, if you think that this is the best that Boston's going to give you, you know, I think the Nets are up for a rude awakening. You know, they didn't play their best defense. They definitely didn't play their best offense. You know, Um, Jalen Brown was nowhere near where he usually is. Um, obviously we talked about like Tyson stuff, you know, but that's, that's a whole different story. I think, I think the Tyson situation is like, he knows he's very, uh, very much, uh, receptive to getting fouls. So him getting close up to Kyrie was his version of, I don't want to, I don't want to fall out. Um, so I think, I think that was the reason why he was probably taking a lot more space than he needed to in front of Kyrie. Um, but I think, I think overall, I think that's the the biggest thing for me is like the last one thing is the fact that we have so much room to grow still in this series. I still think there's a lot more that Boston has to offer. They haven't played their best defense. They're better in offense. You know, if we can get, um, if we can get uh, Grant Williams making a couple threes where he hasn't been recently, um, you know, if we can get, uh, smart to stay consistent and give us those three or four threes a game. If Brown can start offensive, being more effective offensively, because he was very effective defensively, but obviously offensively, he wasn't that great unless uh, until the fourth quarter when he got a couple clutch shots. But um, those are all things that we're still missing. Those are still parts that we're still missing um, that as fans, we expect to see at some point in the series. Um, if it comes in game two, great. But 
at some point, Grant Williams has to turn on and start making those corner threes or even any type of threes at some point, which is, you know, what really, what we really expect from him. Defensively, he's great, but offensively, we're, he's missing that. Um, and if we can get, you know, Brown to be that, you know, that type of guy where they, if they try to double team Tatum, you know, Brown is, is there to, is, is there to pick up that slack, then that would be great. I, I, so again, the Celtics still have room to grow. And I think that's, what's encouraging compared to the Nets where I just don't see what their next, I just don't see what their next, uh, I don't know what their next step is. You know, they, you you got a great game from Kyrie Irving. I don't know if he's going to give you that three or four or five more times this series. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, like, I think it's you. What you saw from him that night is is supernatural. He's not going to give that to you every night. So if you wasted a game of him giving you thirty nine points, I think it was or forty one or something like that. Thirty nine. Yep, um. Then you have to consider that he's not going to give you that every time he's out there. And you have to understand that if the reason why Kevin Durant didn't shoot the way he usually is, is not because he was an off night. It was because the Celtics stopped him. The Celtics defended him really well. And he wasn't getting open wide shots. So you have to, you have to assume that the Celtics are going to continue to defend him that way. And you're going to have to assume that Kyrie Irvin is not going to make every shot this series. And you're going to have to assume that there's going to be some players on the Celtics team who haven't, gotten hot yet and will eventually at some point in the series. So I just don't see where the adjustments are for the Nets. But again, you have players like, um, you know, you have players like uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving who could at any moment with the blink of an eye can change a game. So you don't, you don't want to take that for granted, but at the same time um, you have to have hope uh, in your team. And quite frankly, I just don't see where the adjustments are going to come from, from the Nets. Um, Something else that stood out to me was that last play um, where obviously everyone went crazy and, you know. You loved it. You loved it. I, I know you loved every second of that. It's everything you, you preached all yeah. year. Yeah, we, I, I was talking about this all year. But I think what stood out to me with that play is, as fans, we saw the growth. We saw the comp, like the, the, the conclusion of this season's full circle. Re- moving forward, whether we win or, or we don't, or we move on or we don't, the growth story of the Boston Celtics ended with that play. Like 100%. Marcus Smart not taking that shot. It was unbelievable. It, you know, him and, and every, even Tatum expected him to take that, uh, take that shot. Defensively, you know, it was like this, this is exactly what we are known for. This is our identity. Marcus Smart not taking that shot and understanding he's a point guard. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown not taking that shot, understanding that it isn't his responsibility, handing it over to to Marcus. Marcus handing it over to Tatum. Tatum not having to do any anything special, just do just do what you have to do and get that layup. To me, is the culmination of a great story for the Boston Celtics and the growth that they have shown this season. Like that's well, literally I, what we've been asking for. I just need to say that this is beautifully said, Ashley. Yeah, I, and could I, not, I could not have said any of what you just said better myself. Okay, so thank you totally. You're speaking my language. Uh, you pretty much, I I agree with every single thing you said, especially that last bit. Like when you're watching that play, it did feel like this is it. This is real. This is us. Yeah, it clicked for them at that moment. Was it clicked for us? It clicked for them. Um, the fact that Ime didn't call the timeout. Everything clicked that last play. Everything. And then, you know, obviously we're on a high this year, this week with 
that win and then defensive player of the year, that was also like a click for us. That is such a, a, a good way for Marcus Smart to get the validation that he needs. Like you were doing the right thing and here's the validation for it. So it's, it's honestly, it's, this, it's, if we don't win the next game or if we don't win this series at the end of the day, like the growth that you have been coming on here, this podcast talking about every, every day and talking about this person needs to do this, this person needs to do that. All the talks about, I don't know what a point guard Marcus smart looks like all this literally it, it shut everyone up and it answered everyone's questions and it gave us a full circle at that moment. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on the that final play and to your point where you said Jalen Brown didn't take the shot and Marcus Smart didn't take the shot. I also think that those shots wouldn't have been terrible looks. I wouldn't say that they're the great looks, but they were good, solid looks. Like Jalen Brown had the mismatch. He got pretty close to the rim. The he still was within the mid-range. You know, he's he still has enough time on the clock possibly for an offensive rebound. So it wouldn't have been a terrible shot. Like we we probably would have talked about it and been like, yeah, we like to got something else, but it wasn't a terrible shot. That's what we would end up conversating about. Um but he passed that up and, and that's part of the growth that we talked about. But then Marcus Smart had a really open look. Like, you know, Bruce Brown got really lost on that scramble with with Jaden Brown. And Marcus Smart was wide open. The reason that they overreacted and you had two guys jump on that pump fake was because of how open he was. And Marcus Smart could have taken that shot, especially with how he was shooting that night. And, you know, we could have been like, that was a good look. Would have been nice to get something at the rim, but he decided to yeah. grow. And, that's, and that, that was, was amazing. You know, Marcus Smart was, was having a good shooting night. So that's why even more we expected him to take yeah. that shot. You know, and and the fact that he passed it up to me was just I, when the shot went in and I was watching the game, I had a late reaction. Like I didn't believe that we Same. won, and I think I was a little bit off. Like I was like, "What just happened?" And then my dad jumped up and started screaming. So then I was like, "Oh, oh, we we won! <laughs> like like we we really did that." And then I yeah. I had it on repeat for like the last like forty eight hours. I'm looking at it over and over and over because it's it's literally the conclusion to like a great story, like this, like a great book that you read. And it's like the best conclusion or a great movie you've watched. And it's like the best ending. It's, it, you know, regardless of what the outcome is this season, like this is exactly what growth looks like. Like they've gotten to that peak. Like this is it. And, and another point to that last play though, real quick was, was I think one thing that we, we didn't hit on there was the fact that Jason Tatum didn't get caught watching paint dry. And what I mean by that is a lot of players and even great players in this league would have sat there and even though Marcus Smart was going to take a shot, he crashing a board for an offensive rebound. Some guys just don't do that. They just sit there and just wait to see the result. And the fact that Jason Tatum made himself available, yeah. I know that he admitted that he was going in for an offensive rebound. So it just turned out to be a cut that ended up working out well. But that for Jason Tatum was growth. And Jason Tatum deserved – I, I think his his game almost got swept under the rug with the whole Kyrie game and the antics and then it just being a game winner and all the ball movement in that last one. But Jason Tatum played pretty much a, a really all-around fluid game. He had seven assists in that first half, which was insane. It displayed his playmaking ability. And he added 15 points and then added 16 in the second half. He did everything he could. And he outplayed Kevin Durant. Everybody was talking about Kevin Durant's the best player in the series. Tatum might be the second. And, you know, game one shows Tatum was willing to rise to that occasion. 100%. And not to, and to bring it kind of back to, you know, Pat, you mentioned 
with the Kansas and with the Defensive Player of the Year to bring it back to 2007, 2008. One thing that stands out to me about that team is, you know how you were saying, Pat, those shots wouldn't have been terrible. One thing that team did was pass up good shots for great shots. And I think that the Celtics team had the wherewithal in the final moments of such a high leverage situation because game one is a huge deal. Because if we lose to the Nets, we lose home court. The Nets only have to win four out of six or three out of six. Excuse me. We have to win four out of six. It's just going to be a lot tougher to win the series going down. Oh, one, you know, especially when you have home court. So just seeing them, you know, in that final moment, look for that great shot. And listen, Ashley, I know you, I know you thought myself, Pat, Jason Tatum, the two defenders who jumped, we all thought Smart was going to shoot it. So, you know, just to see him just do that was like, especially for how many times I've defended yeah. Smart against people, like, you know, it just really was such a culmination. And it was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, really. I, I truthfully couldn't. Yeah, and I will, I will leave you guys with this. You know, you can get some more people up here and whatnot, but... Uh, expectations for me for game two would be I would like for them to figure out a way to keep to keep the the distance with the Nets like if that's something that they can do moving forward um where you know they did have a 15 point lead like you know in you know if you can keep that 15 point lead like a team against the Nets then you're in a really good position you know so if you can if you can get to 15 you should be able to maintain 15 um, so I think that that's my thing. It's like their defense is good enough to do it. So, and your offense is good enough to do it. You should be able to go up on this team by 15 and be able to sustain that 15 point lead. Um, and I think that's been like a point of struggle for the Celtics. Like that was a point of struggle for the Celtics, like when they were going through their transition. Um, and, and we did see some games later in the season, but you know, later in the season, everything was very much up in the air. So, um, so I would like to see that. Like my expectation is, if if and when you do get that separation, keep it. Let's like let's find a way to keep that separation so we aren't scrambling at the end because we know we have the ability to do it. Um, we just have to figure out a way to to sustain that. And um, obviously, I spoke earlier about like what are some of the things we need to do offensively to um, you know, there's some key key players that need to be able to produce offensively so we can keep that 15 point lead. But defensively, I still think there's a there's a couple of notches that the Celtics can get to, can get to defensively, um, and then uh, inter- and then the next thing would be for me is like, obviously not game two, but I'm just interested to see like what what this team looks like when you get Robert Williams back. You know, like if if it is true that we'll get him in the first round, back in the first round, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust, how he adjusts, and will it be the best thing for us or will it not be? You know, if we are winning and we're doing well, you know, are we going to bring him back? Should we just hold, hold off? Or uh, So I guess that would be my next my next thing. It's like that curiosity question, you know, is it worth bringing him back if we're doing well? Um, but, yeah, just sustaining that lead would be my expectation for them um, for game two. No, I, I agree with you. I think the, the mystery with Robert Williams, I don't necessarily, and I, I told Lucas this, I, if we go up 2-0 and, and we're pretty – in control of the series and, and say it's like three, one series and Robert has the ability to come back. I, I don't know if they bring him back, you know um, I think them sitting him out and waiting on him is probably the better decision at the end of the day, you know, more time to rest. That's why I think it's also better for this team. If they're able to, I know realistically uh, it, it's going to be hard and really tough, but if we can somehow beat the nets in, in four or five games, 
that would be ideal for the Celtics one to to get some rest because if we do advance, you, you're looking ahead at the Bucks, right? Uh, ultimately, no no disrespect to the Bulls, but the Bucks are probably going to be the team you you're, you're running into, and you're going to want this team to be as fresh and recovered as possible. So getting some team practices in to get Rob's legs back under him, but like in a, in a controlled way, kind of monitor his injury rather than throwing him back into some game action like that uh, would make me feel a lot more comfortable going into a really tough series like that. Uh, so there's a lot on the stake. I think on the line, I think the Celtics are still in a must win game too. I know it sounds kind of weird, but, but I think when you're, you're the favorite and I feel the Celtics are mm-hmm. the favorite, you have to take care of your home court advantage. So I still think the pressure is still on the Celtics to win game two more than it is on the Nets to win it because they always say the series doesn't start until a team loses at home. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, remind me, if you guys don't mind, how, how does it go again? Or is, is it two, two games at two, home? Two, one, then... one, one. Okay, two, two. Uh, until you get to the finals, then it's two, three, two. Okay. Yeah, so, so I mean, for me, that's it, guys. I mean, it, it was they have room to, for improvement, and I think that's the exciting part about this team is like they're that wasn't even the best version of the Celtics. I 100% agree, and like you said, I feel like the Celtics have a lot more adjustments to make, uh, you know, to improve their game than the Nets do. Um, Pat, I don't know, anyone else send any speaker requests? Ashley, seriously, thank you so much for coming up. It was great talking to you. Like I said, everything you said beautifully worded, I literally could not have said any of that you know, better myself. And I'm sure the listeners will hundred percent agree. So Ashley. Absolutely guys. Thank you for your podcast and uh, have a nice night. Thank yeah, you. you. Too. Yeah. You know, uh, we are lacking a, a bit of the requests tonight, but we know what we're not lacking in is, is manscape products and make sure that you're also not lacking in manscape products by going ahead and heading over to manscape.com and using Hoopball 20 to make sure that you get that 20% off products get yourself some really good manscaped products to make sure you're looking good for the summertime springtime make sure you're all good for this you know playoff basketball man you don't want to be watching you know with your buddies or your family and your friends and and kicking back and watching some Celtics basketball you want to make sure you're feeling good too so make sure you guys head over to our buddies over at manscaped.com and use um hoopball 20 to get that 20 percent off yes sir gonna save yourself some money know that tax return about to hit so, you know, go get yourself some products. Stay clean if you hit the bar to watch the game. If you're at the game, you know, anything, got to stay fresh, got to stay clean. So make sure to hit up Manscaped and use that code HOOPBALL20. But, uh, Patrick, I think that about does it for us, yeah? Yes, sir, man. We're going to be back here probably uh, tomorrow after the game on Wednesday. Um, we're really excited for this Nets-Celtics uh, game two at the Garden. It's going to be really live. It's going to be crazy. Kyrie Irving and the fans, you got – Jason Tatum coming off a game winner in the playoffs. It's it's really going to be something for the ages. Um, really excited for what uh, the game has entailed for us. But also make sure you guys go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Ball and Opinions. You also have to tell – go hit up Lucas at Luca underscore Gainer for all that Celtics content. Also follow the show at Ethos Celtics. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Follow all of us like Pat said. Follow the show, Apple, Spotify. You can go on sportsethos.com, um, you know, listen to the show there if you'd like. Um, and then also download Spotify Live. You know, you could be you could be the next Ashley, you know, saying some, you know, really smart thing. Get your name out there, you know. We'd really love the conversation. So uh, definitely make sure you get Spotify Live. Come on and join us. You know, I know a lot of people have post games. You know, we have discussions, unrecorded discussions before the game sometimes too. So if you don't want to be on the podcast, 
you know, we'll still we'll still shoot the uh, shoot the S, you know, for you know half hour before we record the show after the game, just trying to get our our thoughts out there. So make sure you come on, check out the show on Spotify Live, and shout out to everybody who listens, downloads, and reviews the show. Really appreciate every single one of y'all. Marcus Mark is the Defensive Player of the Year. Let's go. Yes, sir. Make sure you guys have a good night and get some rest. Don't get too excited, but game two tomorrow, baby. Let's go.